Welcome to the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you excellent and interesting content, from inspiring you to teach or supervise more effectively, to leading and managing your own team, to thinking about creative or humanistic ways to do your work, and finally, to build up your skills in scholarly practice. We welcome you to sit back, listen, and enjoy the latest episode of the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Dr. Sebastian Pratt talk about the Forensic Psychiatry Institute lecture series. He discusses topics such as how he got involved in forensic psychiatry, his background and next steps as a forensic psychiatrist, and what topics the series will be exploring. We hope you enjoy. Welcome. So I'm very happy today to have Dr. Sebastian Pratt with us here today. And I I was really looking forward to this conversation because I know so little about forensic psychiatry. But before we get into the topic or the practice area of forensic psychiatry, I'd love to allow you, Dr. Pratt, to introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you very much, Dr. Chen, for giving me that opportunity. So I am a psychiatrist working at uh, at St. Joe's and uh, being a faculty member in the Department of Psychiatry at McMaster University. Um, You know from my accent that I come from France and uh, I've been uh, here for the past 10 years, not only enjoying the work that is done here, but also the the life in Canada. I've trained um, as a psychiatrist in France, but also as a forensic pathologist under the, the French model. And I've always been quite interested in the forensic world. But I decided to uh, to come to Canada you know, many years ago because I wanted to broaden up my experience. I wanted to have a better knowledge of other jurisdictions in which I could work to learn more as to how I could improve my own practice. But also I was interested in the academic aspect of the work uh, we do in general and I'm, I'm doing here. And I quickly understood that if I wanted to um, you know, be able to become proficient, I needed to improve my language skills. So it became quite obvious that I needed to immerse myself in a uh, English speaking countries and Canada became quite of a um, clear um, and logical place to come for many reasons and particularly because it was um, easy to transfer and get the fellowship at that time. And I was so uh, thank I'm so thankful for the opportunity that has been given to me to be able to come. Uh, it has been quite of actually an easy process uh, to come here. Thanks for that introduction. And this reminds me that I happen to know about you that you have many other degrees as well, like an MBA, and you're also pr- pursuing a master's in health research methodology. So I'm just going to put a pin in that and put that off to the side, because I would love to hear more about your thinking process on pursuing these additional degrees and how that education has informed your practice. But I'd like to start with uh, our discussion around forensic psychiatry. I mentioned earlier that I know 
very little about this field. And I'd love to hear from you and your experience. What drew you to forensic psychiatry? And is there a particular area in forensic psychiatry that is your focus? Yes, oh, thank you for that question and, and being able you know, to uh, highlight what we do in forensic psychiatry, uh, which I find it's being a, it's a fascinating area to work in. I think, you know, early when I was a medical student, I really appreciated learning about pathophysiology and psychopathology. And I was not particularly drawn to to the, the, the treatment aspect of it. I wanted to understand, you know, what was going on. And uh, I was interested in the investigative aspect of, uh, of criminology. And I think the two together, you know, came, came when, you know, during my studies, I realized that I could actually combine both and not only focus too much on treatment, but basically understand what people think, what they do. And that's how I got drawn into um, working in the area of forensic sciences and particularly forensic psychiatry. So in forensic psychiatry, we there is different aspect of the work, but we do uh, assessment for the court when the court wants to know the mindset of the person at the time they committed an offense or the type of treatment they should receive to make sure that the community will remain safe. And then we have the, the phase uh, of the rehabilitation of individuals who have been in the contact with the justice system and were found not to be criminally responsible, just to make it you know, quite simple and straightforward. There is a bit more complexities about what we do, but uh, basically it's about making sure that we can take care of those individuals, you know, provide the adequate treatment uh, and rehabilitate them. And I find it's a very rewarding work because um, we have the tools to help those individuals who are often, as we described, double stigmatized. They are stigmatized because of their mental illness and they're stigmatized because of having committed a crime and being able to make them achieve, help them achieve you know, some of their goals. It's a, it's a really a rewarding situation. Within forensic psychiatry, there is really an area that I'm interested in. Uh, it's around sexual behavior and particularly um, deviant sexual behavior. And that has stemmed from my early training in, uh, in psychiatry. So actually it started even before when I was a medical student and I observed some of the forensic psychiatric assessment. Uh, and at that time I had a preconceived uh, notion of what somewhat committed a sexual offense is and observing multiple cases you know made me realize that it's a very complex um, situation and that not everyone look the same and that's the, the they're problematic it's uh, needs to be individualized i'd actually started doing some research because in that particular aspect my th those cases were around people who have downloaded child pornography from the internet so it's a very narrow area, even within um, um, sexual sexual behavior clinic. But uh, that made me doing some research, looking more into it, and and developing a bit more interest to you know assess those individuals and trying to formulate some um, diagnosis and treatment plan for them. Maybe I could ask you a question about these other podcasts because the true crime podcast 
world, I think is very popular right now. And I, I was curious about your perspective before we get into our discussion about um, your forensic psychiatry institute work. Do you have any thoughts about the whole true pod, true crime podcasting world and the subjects that they cover uh, or any thoughts about that? Positive uh, or negative? No, I think, in, you know, I think that's um, often working in the forensic science area, uh, you are asked about uh, what, you know, is seen on TV. Is it true? Uh, is it what's happening, you know, in, in real life? And, you know, for a while, all of the comments we're making is like, yeah, it seems that, you know, most of the things they're describing is true. This is what, you know, people do in the labs and, you know, during assessment, but the timeline is completely off. You know, you don't, you don't get, you don't solve the case in um, in 45 or 52 minutes, right. obviously, or even, you know, when they pretend it's two days. Um, yeah. But I think those kind of true podcasts, uh, true crime podcasts of, um, and, and the most popular one, they have managed to bring um, real cases and, and bring the, the reality of what is the work that we do and making sure that there is no uh, misunderstanding on what the processes are and how people feel and, and the time it takes. And that it's a, yeah, it's a um, complicated task most of the time and that requires lots of people to be involved. So I, I would say at this point, I think it's very good to be able to educate, you know, people are interested in learning more, but in a very accurate manner. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that maybe all of them are, are fully accurate, that I don't know, but um, I think it's a, it's a better reflection of uh, what we do. Mm. So perhaps it's a, a way for popular culture to understand a bit about what you do in forensic psychiatry as it connects to the criminal investigation world or um, to what happens in those true crime <laughs> examples and yet we we recognize that there's a bit of dramatization or drama added to the the series or to a television episode that doesn't perhaps reflect the real timeline for how things play out in practice yes exactly and and i would add also to to add because you use the word drama i think also the the, the glamorous aspect of some mm. of those tv shows it's not what we experience in real life. So, I mean, mm. there is a um, lot more to say about, you know, people, um, life and the stress of the experience. And, you know, not everything takes place and there's a sun in a, in a beautiful house and, and that people forget about, you know, that real people are experiencing either, you know, the people who committed the crime and the victims and, and that uh, there is other life experience that goes with all of them that mm. are not, picture uh, in those um, in those tv shows mm -hmm. yeah makes sense and that does bring me to the other question that i wanted to ask you more about because i understand that you are involved with a team that plans the forensic psychiatry institute lecture series and so i had a chance to watch some of the recorded webinars from this lecture series and this gave me a much better sense of your field of forensic psychiatry and the, the nature of how the field is evolving and progressing, as well as some of the 
prominent topics that uh, the field is wrestling with. So I was curious, as a planning team member, how does your group organize the lecture topics? And how do you determine the, the topics that you'll cover, for example, in, in the lecture series? Yes, and, and thank you very much for the interest for that, because that has been an endeavor since um, the summer of 2020. So everything started with COVID when uh, you know, all the conferences shut down and, uh, you know, I think people took advantage of that by, uh, you know, focusing differently on um, the education and knowledge translation. And we saw an opportunity at that time thinking that there is more online people are, you know, more accustomed to um, video conferencing. And that's probably something we could uh, do in order to, Yes, keep the ball rolling because obviously the work doesn't stop and the, and we needed to make sure that the knowledge will continue and people will still be active in that. So that's how we started initially. And we, you know, as, as I described a bit earlier, the, the field of forensic psychiatry is a broad one and we needed to be able to make sure that it will be accessible um, to everyone. So we initially had a concept of, you know, changing not just the topic, but the format each week with, you know, people more introductory level and more, um, more in-depth level and more innovative level, which is something after, after a while we, um, we stopped because we just realized that the people who would attend the lecture series would you know, mostly be the same, having new members regularly. But so people were not necessarily drawn by uh, the complexity of the, um, of the situation or the simplicity of the, the explanation of the presentation. And they seem to be more interested in, in having some of, the, some of the topic covered. Also, we felt that one of the benefits of doing this lecture series was to understand other perspectives in forensic uh, mental health, because we are depending on the jurisdiction where we work. Obviously, some of the cases we do depends on what the law has decided about either the processes or what is legal, what is illegal. Um, and forensic psychiatry actually doesn't mean the same thing, you know, in Canada or in the United States or even in the Netherlands. Oh, so we yeah. practice also a bit differently. We don't have the same type of patients or under the same level of um, uh, legal uh, oversight. So I think that has been very educational for all of us. Now, in terms of deciding about the topic, I think it comes with, well, it started with the people we knew who are doing research and trying to make sure we would cover the broadness of what we do. So not, for example, not just sexual offenses and not just, you know, violent offenders right. and making sure that we have a mix between more legalistic uh, presentation and more practical, clinically relevant presentation. And, and then now we really go with what the attendees ask us to, to try to cover. And, you know, since, you know, we are back to doing conferences more frequently, I think we now also look at the presentation we see and trying to make sure that we can um, have those speakers come to the lecture series in order to, uh, to be able to do that presentation at a different scale, because 
I think based on the fact that it is a video conference model, we have been able to reach out to many people. That has been, I think, the success of the lecture series with having, I think right now we have roughly 600 um, registrants and roughly between uh, 180 and 250 attendees per week. Wow. Um, and that's, I think, across more than 50 countries around the world. What I think was very interesting is to realize that some of the countries where, so when we do the, the lecture series, it's uh, at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time on a Thursday, but even people for whom it is like the night, they are, some of them are still watching it. So it seems to have drawn enough interest for people to stay awake and uh, and listen to it, which, you know, we are very, um, very glad that this is, you know, the momentum of the lecture series at the moment. Yes, I'm just imagining that if we have this uh, lecture series at 10 a.m., then those in Australia or New Zealand are connecting at like 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning, something like that. And the fortunate aspect of your lecture series is that it's also recorded. And so you can access the previously recorded webinars after the fact as well. That's how yes, I exactly. was able to access it. Yeah. Yeah, we want to make sure that, you know, the knowledge uh, stays for the people. And then obviously, you know, the presenter invests some time to come and, and do their presentation. So we want to make sure also they get enough coverage in terms of the work they have done. Mm -hmm. And I, I would be interested to hear from you as the planning committee, I imagine also has international representation. What are some of the hot topics or the big topics that your team is discussing and planning for, for example, for the upcoming year? I know that you have all your lectures uh, planned out already for this year. What are some of those emerging trends or topics that you, you all are exploring? Yes. And, you know, so we also have ideas of to, as to what we would like to, uh, to present or, or to have on the schedule. And sometimes, you know, it's not always feasible or, or the speakers are not available um, when, you know, when we have uh, time slots for them. So, but there is, you know, we, we tend to follow also what's going on in the world, I would say in terms of the news. Um, and I think, you know, more recently, some of the interest seems to have been around either gun violence or, uh, some aspects of uh, legislation changes, for instance, you know, in Canada around intoxication, that has been a topic that actually we have carried on for several Thursday over the past year and a half, because it was becoming a very important situation to deal with. We have been also very interested in uh, making sure that uh, people, there is more exposure to uh, international practices, so learning from other countries to see what they do and, and how they implement their uh, forensic mental health, uh, either assessment or treatment. There has been uh, there has been some interest, not just expressed, I mean expressed by you know, our committee, but also by um, by the attendees about uh, terrorism and understanding more about, you know, the, the, the work that is done in that area to keep communities safe. Uh, there is, seems to be always a good interest in the sexual behavior field. 
So that's something we try to explore and trying to make sure that we have enough uh, diversity in the presentation because obviously sexual behavior is not just about you know sexual offenses and, uh, and, and sexual violence, but also can be related to uh, different aspects of the situation of inmates who may experience some difficulties due to uh, their sexual identity in custody. Also, the, the, the care of, uh, of individuals who get stigmatized because of the type of the crime they committed. As I'm hearing you describe the, the international collaboration and the expertise that you gain from the, your international colleagues, I'm thinking about the potential tension. And let me know if this is an accurate reflection of your work. I'm imagining the tensions between understanding the international community's practices or experiences and the way that they approach forensic mental health and also tying your practices back to the legal requirements within your particular country or jurisdiction. And is, is there a tension between the two where you're navigating the legal jurisdiction or the legal boundaries within your particular country and trying to apply perhaps different practices or approaches that you're seeing in your international colleagues? Is that is that attention, or is that just something that I'm that I'm imagining? Um, yeah, I think it's a very good point. Uh, I think it's probably um, a bit of attention and a bit of a process to brainstorm further. So obviously, mm-hmm. sometimes we see some practices that seems to be functioning well um, because they have the right resources and they have the right legal framework to implement it. So I think the tension comes to when we think about maybe we should you know, try something like that and then we get a big stuck from the legal standpoint and we know we are not going to change anything. It's going to take years to make the legal framework fully available, fully uh, adapted to, to make that happen. But on the other hand, it forces us to think outside the box and think, okay, we know we cannot do it exactly as it is. So let's think how we can approach as close as possible to the same um, processes because we want to achieve the same results. Um, and, and actually it's a quite of a interesting and, and fascinating um, process to do and, and to follow. So we, you know, we try to be innovative that way. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. And I will also have the link to your Forensic Psychiatry Institute lecture series on our webpage where we have this podcast episode as well, so that listeners can then be connected to the lecture series. Now, I wanted to turn it back to you and you, I, I know a, a bit of your background just from our previous conversations, but I'm imagining that as you continue in this field and uh, continue your practice as a forensic psychiatrist, you're likely exploring new areas of learning or new areas for your own professional growth and development. So I'm curious to know from you, Sebastian, what are the next steps for you? What are some of the areas that you're exploring yourself? 
And mm -hmm. also perhaps if I could ask you to connect it to some of the stepping stones along the way, because I do know that you previously had uh, gotten your MBA. You're also exploring health research methodology. And so maybe if you want to tie those experiences into your future directions. Yeah, thank you very much for, for this question. I think, you know, it's not a question easy to, uh, to answer because I may not know myself exactly what I want to do for what I think I knew. But um, I think with all the, I mean, the, the extra training I've done, I think, you know, things may have changed. For a while, the training I've done where the extra training outside of um, med school and residency were very much targeting the forensic science area because I was passionate by that and I wanted to learn more about it. And I wanted to be as good as I could be in my area. But then, you know, exploring other aspects and, um, you know, thinking about leadership, but I would say leadership uh, broadly, uh, which not necessarily leadership in terms of having an administrative position, but, you know, being a good leader within the team on the unit and making sure that we can achieve results all together. I, I started being interested in, you know, leadership training, but then thinking more about that, looking at the context of the, of the leadership training and programs, I, you know, it seemed to me that they were not necessarily all cohesive. There were you know, some different, I would say, school of, of theory, and uh, and I was not sure, you know, which one I need to pick, and it became difficult. But then I I started, you know, thinking more as to what would make sense and what I wanted to learn, and that's how I came across the um, executive MBA, and I did it at McMaster University, which you know I highly recommend actually. That has been a um, you know a busy but fantastic experience, and it was you know my interest became to understand not just you know leadership skills but also how a, a corporation works and how you can make an impact on the different aspect of the corporation and how to recognize what are the issues and to solve issues. And I think you know that's also. Uh, led to me realizing that yes, I was doing some research, but I could identify at times that my skills were not greatest, and I needed to improve the theoretical knowledge. And I think you know, altogether thinking about the collaboration I wanted to do in research and learning about collaborations with the MBA, I understood that yes, you cannot know everything, but you need to know enough to be able to have that kind of ongoing communication with your colleagues during uh, when you collaborate on a project and that's how I got drawn to the HRM programs to learn more about the skills um, which um, I would also highly recommend even if people is not necessarily uh, drawn to be a researcher full-time because uh, we're learning so much on so many topics. So having all of that in mind, I think, you know, I, I continue to, I think I have generally interest of learning new things. So I'm not sure if, you know, the next step would be to think about something else I would like to learn. But I would say one, beside, you know, my, uh, my passion for the work I do, one of my interests is around international collaboration and making sure that also the experience I have had, I was offered coming to McMaster, but also, you know, studying abroad um, when I was in, in med school and in university. Um, I want to make sure that I can contribute and, and, and facilitate that for other students. So 
If there is something I would like to focus on, maybe we'd be able to be instrumental in helping other with the international uh, collaboration to make uh, students uh, life easier when they want to come and learn because I think we learn a lot when we when we get outside of um, our you know comfort zone and partly in a country where it's not our first language and and if I can help facilitate that I would you know I would really like it. Well, that's great. And I really look forward to seeing your work in the future as we continue to be colleagues here at McMaster. And I'm excited to see the ways in which you'll apply your leadership skills in your formal and informal roles that you assume here at McMaster, as well as the skills that you're developing in the HRM program and those those research and analysis skills. So I look forward to seeing your work as it evolves in the future, and I look forward to possibilities for future collaboration. Thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Office for Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. For more information on faculty development, be sure to check out our website at macpfd.ca. That's M-A-C-P-F-D.ca. Here you can find other episodes as well as resources for your personal and professional development. A quick shout out to our sound engineer, Ishan Mania Panda, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Another shout out to Scott Holmes, who composed and supplied us with the music you've been listening to. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it and be sure to tune in for our future episodes.